there is some serious rumbling taking place about the state of baseball today. Debate about the game from major leagues to little league. It's raging on social media. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Lab Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. If you are a person who pays close attention to things, and if you are a person familiar with the work of G.K. Chesterton, you may have wondered about the title of this week's episode. It's a play on words from Chesterton. In particular, the words, My country, right or wrong. Those words are in the context of a whole sentence, a quote. Chesterton wrote, My country, right or wrong, is a thing that no patriot would think of saying except in a desperate case. It is like saying, my mother, drunk or sober. Now, he wrote those words in a work titled, A Defense of Patriotism. And in that, he also wrote these words. For the first of all the marks of love is seriousness. Love will not accept sham bulletins or the empty victory of words. In other words, he's telling us, in this case, about our country, that understanding the problems and failures as well as the achievements is what we do when we love something, when we love our country, when we love our mother, and, I'm saying, when we love our game, the great game of baseball. In any and all of these situations, and many others, we're going to assess things by looking honestly, honestly at the good and bad, the true and false, the beautiful and ugly, or, again, in Chesterton's words, the right and wrong. We should never say, my country, my mother, my game, right or wrong. Which begs the question, how do we determine whether it's right or wrong, good or bad, true or false, beautiful or ugly? The question, by what standard? The question, by what standard? Now, I want to remind you of a couple of things. First, the purpose for this podcast. My desire when I started this podcast, my desire remains to be the same now in the fourth year of this podcast, which is to be thankful to God for the greatest game on earth, baseball, and to look at that game, to look at how it's played, how it's run, to look at what happens on the field, off the field, to look at it from the perspective of those in the game, of those who are fans of the game, all of that by the standard of God's word, again, being grateful to God for giving us such a wonderful blessing, and to look at how this game can be run, played, watched to the glory of God. Now, I hope, and I've received feedback that both of these hopes actually have indeed been fulfilled, or at least they're occurring. One is that people would listen to this podcast for reasons beside the fact that they were baseball fans 
and become baseball fans. And I've been told and, and received feedback that that has happened. Another goal would be for those who once were fans and kind of had wandered away and they have been reinvigorated to follow the game of baseball again. And that's been the case. And then, of course, there are those who are fans. I want us to, to think through all things baseball through the lens of all things biblical. The second reminder I want to give is my working syllogism. Back, I believe it was in the late 1950s, Henry Van Til said, culture is religion externalized. Beginning in the early 1990s, I have made this statement. Baseball is a microcosm of our culture. Now, Henry Van Til's statement, I believe, has been accepted by many over the last more than half a century. Obviously, I believe my statement is true. I don't know if it's accepted by many or not. But, culture is religion externalized from Van Til. Baseball is a microcosm of our culture via me. Therefore, baseball is a microcosm of our religion externalized. So in other words, when we watch baseball, in particular at the major league level, but it doesn't have to end there. It can go all the way down to t-ball. As we watch baseball, we are seeing our dominant religion. We cannot separate culture and baseball and Christianity and you and me. They all are tied together. So with these things in mind, I want to deal with what's going on, and it has been, but it's really picked up steam in the last couple of weeks in the social media world. On the one side, you have the old guys, guys like me. I'm nearing 60 years of age. Oftentimes, these old guys who, like me, played Major League Baseball. Some of them, my age or older, many of them playing in Major League Baseball longer than I did. That's the one side. Sometimes that side is looked at as the old guys yelling at the young guys, get off my lawn. And there's no doubt that can take place, but I don't believe it is, generally speaking, taking place. On the other side of this debate, you have the young guys. A lot of them very, very smart. Ivy League guys, Stanford guys, Berkeley guys. And they're shouting at the old guys that we don't know what we're talking about. And oftentimes, they can at least appear, if not outright be, arrogant. And so this debate is raging, and it has been for for many years in, in one sense, but again, in social media, it's really picking up. So these wars between the guys that played the game, that understand the game from a perspective that the young guys can't, the young guys having an understanding of things like data and analytics, algorithms and the like, that the old guys may not have as much experience in, and going to battle. And really what it boils down to is experience in the game and having eyes on the game and on the people that play the game or even manage the game or even the fans of the game as opposed to having our eyes on a computer screen and looking at numbers. Again, whether it's about fans, whether it's about strategy, whether it's about a person's metrics. Now, it's not an either-or that clearly cut, but that's the essential basis of this debate, of these social media wars. Let me give you an example, maybe to hopefully bring this into focus a little bit better. So my final year when I was pitching coordinator with the Brewers, which was 2019, 
there was a pitcher in our organization, a young man that I liked a lot. I liked his ability to pitch. I especially liked his unwillingness. He was a starting pitcher. He hated coming out of the game. He did not want to be taken out of the game, and I love that about a pitcher. But as I watch this pitcher, again, liking him and liking his stuff, I have a certain evaluation of him, and in particular, a pitch that he developed in that season. He had not thrown it before that season. And as he worked on it and he developed it, the people who are really, really smart, who look at all of the printouts, who look at the TrackMan data and all of that, said, I received the email, this man has an 80 slider. So they're looking at all of the things on the computer, all of the metrics, all of the TrackMan data, and saying, this is an 80 slider. I, however, when I traveled into the town that he was playing in or watching the team that he played on in whatever town they were playing, would during the game sit in the stands behind home plate and I would watch this slider with my own eyes. And I would say to myself, that is not an 80 slider. Now, remember, I was a pitcher and I was a pitching coach and pitching coordinator. And so my eyes, as it regards that, probably aren't as reliable, definitely aren't as reliable as a guy who was a big league hitter. But as a former pitcher, as a pitching guy, more importantly than my eyes watching the pitch was my eyes watching the hitters in the batter's box reacting to the pitch. And based upon both those things, I said, this is not an 80 slider. It's a fine pitch. It's not an 80 slider. And then I even took the logic of it. If this man is throwing an 80 slider, and he was a starting pitcher, he is Dave Steeb. Dave Steeb was a very good pitcher. I would say a borderline Hall of Fame pitcher who I think threw somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% of his pitches were sliders. That's an 80 slider. An 80 slider you can throw as often as he did and have the kind of success he did as a starting pitcher. Now, if somebody wanted to argue, well, this young man doesn't have the other pitches that Dave Steeb had, and therefore that's why he's not already in the big leagues throwing multiple one-hitters, then I would say, okay, fine. Put him in the bullpen, make him a closer, and he's Brad Lidge. But the truth of the matter is, it wasn't an 80 slider. No matter what the data and analytics said, the eyeballs, and more importantly, the reaction of the hitters, dictated it wasn't an 80 slider. And if it was an 80 slider, why is this guy not in the big leagues dominating? So that's just one example. I've already quoted one Van Til, Henry Van Til. Now I'll quote another, the far more well-known Van Til, Cornelius Van Til. He said something along the lines of this, there are no brute facts. And of course, he was saying that in the context of a sovereign God of the universe. There are no brute facts. All content has context. And that context of all things, no matter how mathematically factual they may be, is the context of that sovereign and holy God. But it's also the context of the people who have been placed on this earth by the sovereign and holy God. So all of the data and analytics, which are valuable, are, are there's no such thing as brute facts. If we do not look at this information, understanding that there is a holy and sovereign God who providentially works all things according to his will, if we remove these quote-unquote brute facts, these raw numbers, from the fact that we're dealing with people, human beings made in the image of God, we are going to have issues. 
In other words, it's not integration. Or I'm said, I'm sorry, it is integration. It's not isolation. All content, all these numbers have a context. So this last week, I watched in, in multiple ways. I watched baseball in person. I watched baseball on the computer. I watched the, these, if you will, social media wars. And I saw a lot that I would consider good, bad, and ugly. Some of the good that I saw took place on Wednesday. I went to a high school baseball game here just down the road from my house in Bristol, Virginia. And it was a game in which the coaches for both teams are men that I know. One, I've gotten to know over the last three or four years. The other, I played with 30 years ago. We played together in Pittsburgh in 1993 and 94. In the state of Virginia, the athletic or sports classes that they have Where I went to high school, it was class A, B, C, D. A being the highest, D being the lowest. And the lowest being the least enrollment in those schools. In the state of Virginia, the classes go from 6 down to 1. 6 being the highest enrollment. So high schools, let's say, in the D.C. area. 1 being the most rural high schools and the lowest enrollment. This game was a game between a class 2 team, high school, and a class 3 team. So the lower levels as it regards enrollment. The Class 2 high school was hosting this game, John Battle High School. John Battle last year were state runner-ups in 2022 in Class 2. They were playing a Class 3 high school, a team that won the state championship in Class 3 last year, Liberty Christian Academy. Liberty Christian Academy is currently rated number one in the state in Class 3. And it was a beautiful day. I mean, you couldn't have had a better day to play or watch baseball. And I was able to watch only two innings of this game. When I left, Liberty Christian Academy was ahead 2-0. They ended up winning 7-zip. I had something more important to attend to. My 10-year-old son, Titus, had a baseball game that night, and I needed to go to that. But here's what I saw in the time I was there. And I got there about four, so I, lot, I saw a lot of the pregame stuff as well as the first two innings. I saw two head coaches who care. Care about the game and care about the players on their team. The head coach of John Battle High School is a former Major League left-handed pitcher, Jimmy Gobble. Jimmy is the man that I've gotten to know over the last three or four years, and it's been a privilege. The manager, the coach in high school, I guess, of Liberty Christian Academy, also a former Major League left-handed pitcher, Randy Tomlin. He's the one that I played with in 93 and 94 with the Pirates. And we were actually in spring training together in 1995 with the Giants. So I saw two men who had tremendous success as Major League pitchers. Jimmy Gobble, primarily with the Kansas City Royals. Randy Tomlin with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Managing their teams. And you can see their love of the game and their love of their players. I saw two starting pitchers who are slated to head to Division I. And the starter for John Battle batted in the three-hole, and the starter for Liberty Christian Academy batted cleanup. I saw these two pitchers work quickly. I saw them pound the zone. It was outstanding. Even before the game started, I saw something I haven't witnessed in a while, and it is a thing of beauty to watch when it is done well. And that was John Battle taking infield and outfield, or in and out. 
when you watch a crisp, well-executed in and out it is a wonderful thing to watch. And they had one that day. The other things I saw in my time there were great enthusiasm and great respect. I also saw a situation with a man on second and nobody out and a sacrifice bunt laid down. That too, I believe, is a good thing. I enjoyed watching that. Here's what I did not see. I didn't see a pitch clock. I didn't see players or even one player with a look at me, look at me, I'm the greatest, aren't I? And that's understandable because both head coaches are not that way. They weren't that way when they played. They're not that way now. They are intense competitors, but they're not look at me, look at me, look at me. It was a thoroughly enjoyable, I guess I was there about two and a half hours total. Now the next day, I got a chance to see in person a couple of middle school games. And of course, you would not expect middle school players to be of the level of high school players, especially high school players on two very good teams. But I was disappointed because I watched a number of situations with runners on base, often with runners on third base, in which the catchers made no attempt to block a pitch in the dirt. Zero. And runners were advancing and scoring all over the place. Again, execution is one thing, but there was no intent even to execute. The other thing I saw was base runners, batters that turned into base runners, on a base hit into the outfield running through first base. Again, I would think at this level, we ought to know the game better than that. We ought to understand base running better than that. As we'll see, however, even in the big leagues, sometimes that's not the case. And here's what I did see. I saw something that made me think, after these games, there must be a bake sale or maybe a pizza party or something that's going to happen. And the reason I thought that is because I saw more oven mitts being put on the hands of baseball players per capita, I think, than anything I've ever seen on a baseball field anywhere. All of those things I would consider to be bad. And they will prove to be even worse if they're not corrected. So there's good, there's bad, there's ugly, in the game, around the game, about the game, the direction of the game. Something I saw at the major league level that is bad, I would say very bad, was the Baltimore Orioles celebrating, I think it was a home run, in their dugout, simulating, they actually had the actual beer bong, but simulating like a college student at a frat party, drinking out of a beer bong. I would say that's very bad. The action itself, I think it's very bad for the game of baseball. Yesterday, I began watching and then listened to the remainder of the game, a game that took place between the Angels and the Red Sox in Boston. And Boston won 2-1, to one, and the game took an hour 57 minutes. So here you see the good results of the pitch clock. And I would say now we're almost a month into the season, eh, not quite, three weeks into the season, the results have been exactly what Major League Baseball was looking for. But again... I like the results. I like the picked-up pace of play. I don't like the way of getting there. Now, if the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox play a game under two hours, I might have to concede that the pitch clock is good. Okay, I will not ever concede that. I might have to concede the argument to those who do believe the pitch clock is good. Something else I saw this week was an article. It was written by Kevin Kernan, and I've quoted him on at least a couple of occasions, and this article had to do with pitching injuries. And he had in this article an interview with a former minor league pitcher, uh, Jim Colonel, 
And Jim Kernel is currently working in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and he's doing a lot of research on pitching injuries and a lot of training of pitchers. And fundamentally, he sees it as being, the injuries that is, a poor delivery, or more particularly, a lack of kinetic timing. And one of the things they brought up in this article, and I don't have the ability to check these stats, but you would assume they're being accurate, is they looked at 227 minor league pitchers that were considered top prospects in 2021. And in September of 2022, 85% of them have been injured. Now, we have to get to the bottom of that. Injuries, generally, pitching injuries in particular, have been increasing year after year after year for quite some time. This is bad for those pitchers and the players. It's bad for the game. We've got to get to the bottom of that. That's a bad thing. It would be a good thing if we could figure out how to lessen these injuries. And I think there are a number of things that need to be considered and implemented. Something that I did see that was very, very good happened with the Tampa Bay Rays. The plate here in the fifth to take the lead. Now Margot puts down the butt. The throw, no throw to feed. How about that? We've seen Margot do that before. That is really becoming part of his game. And you had better be aware. He, I'll tell you, has a knack for getting it down and deadening the ball. Look how late he goes. Manuel Margot, here's the situation. He's with the Rays. He comes to pinch hit in the bottom of the fifth inning. Bases are loaded. There are two outs. The Rays have a 4-3 lead. He drops down a bunt. The third baseman was playing deep and off the line. He drops down a bunt down the third baseline. The runner scores from third. He's safe at first. The Rays now have a 5-3 lead. Bases are still loaded until the next batter hits a double and clears the bases, making the score 8-3, and the Rays go on to win 9-3. That was so enjoyable to watch. And that was one of the wins that the Rays had in starting the season 13-0. and Then they lost two games over the weekend to Toronto, back-to-back Friday, Saturday, before beating the Blue Jays yesterday. So the Rays are now 14-2 and on this season. That was a good thing to watch. That was an exciting thing to watch. In a different series, a series between the Twins and the White Sox that took place last week, a couple of bad and very scary things happened. Oh my goodness gracious. Oh no. From that audio, you cannot tell what happened, but you could tell that it was very scary. Kyle Farmer of the Twins got hit in the face with a fastball, and it was a scary situation. He is currently on the injured list. He needed to have surgery to reset his bottom four teeth and to stitch up around his lower lip. One of the reasons I show that is because there has been already this season, I think three now, uh, hitters that have been hit in the face with pitches that they had no chance of getting out of the way of. Sometimes, I think one situation, the hitter might have turned the wrong way. But this brought up the whole thing about, do we have the ability, and by we I mean pitchers now, even at the major league level, to pitch inside well? Can we do that? Or is it going to result in more hitters getting hit in the face? It is important. I think it's fundamentally important that a pitcher can pitch inside well. It's important for his success. But he's got to be able to do so 
and command the ball enough that, okay, yeah, it gets away from you and you get a guy in the rib cage or whatever, but up in the head area and the face area, that's got to be something that if we're not good at it, and I don't think we are, I don't think pitchers practice enough pitching inside, we've got to get better. Better for the game, for the pitcher, better so that people like Carl Farmer don't get hit in the face. In that same series, another situation took place that also looked like it could result in a significant injury. Softly towards second base, a collision. And Buxton is flattened near second base after a collision with Lenin Sosa, motionless on the dirt. A violent infield collision between the runner and the fielder. And thankfully, Buxton appears to be okay. Second base umpire Mike Malinsky calling interference, a collision with the second baseman. So Byron Buxton of the Twins was on first. There's a ball hit to second base, and he's running, and he's very, very fast. But the remarkable thing was is he seemed to have no idea that you can't just run over an infielder fielding a ground ball. And, I mean, he was going full speed when the collision took place. He got up, and he was okay. But first of all, of course, it could have been a serious injury. But secondly, or maybe I should say, secondly, it could have been a serious injury. But the question is, how does Byron Buxton not understand the game? Not understand that that's not an option. Not be aware of that. This is a very talented guy. I got a chance to see him play in the Florida State League several years ago. Fun guy to watch play. But some of the people, again, these old guys that that played the game, middle infielders, base runners, are just flabbergasted. What's going on here? And that wasn't the only base running blunder that took place last week. There was another one from another man that I had the opportunity to see playing in the Florida State League several years ago. Another man who has a lot of talent, Javier Baez of the Detroit Tigers. Percentage always up near the top of the league. This one to center. And Baez doesn't know how many outs there are. Another mistake by Javier Baez. So Baez was on second base, one out, and there's a fly ball to center field. And he takes off running. And as he gets to about third base, and I don't know if it was when the third base coach was yelling at him or not, he realizes, well, it's too late. He has doubled off at second base. Again, this is a guy with a lot of talent. And this is a guy who's got savvy. Right, His big issue is a total lack of discipline as a hitter. This guy's got savvy. He understands the game, but he really made what my JV baseball coach, uh, Reed Johnson, would call a mental error. And that base running blunder resulted in this meeting between Baez and Detroit Tiger manager A.J. Hinch. Between innings, this is A.J. Hinch saying to Javier Baez, come down the steps. Baez takes his hat off. I mean, he knows what this is about, obviously. Moments later, Baez comes up the steps. The seats are gone. The shirt's untucked. And he, took I him think out. he's out of the game. Yeah, he took him out of the game. Yeah. And he did it in a fashion where it wasn't in public view. Right. And we just happened to see Baez. So from my perspective, that was good on a couple of levels. What A.J. Hinch did and how he did it. He removed Baez from the game, but he did not do so in the public eye. He called Baez down into the tunnel. Now, the Toronto television director or the the cameraman caught the going down and coming out. But nonetheless, A.J. Hinch handled that in a very good way. But there was a bad aspect of this as well. 
After Hinch told Baez he was out of the game, Baez didn't stay in the dugout to encourage and root on and support his team. He went into the clubhouse. Again, those are bad things that you think, ah, what's the big deal? They can be a very big deal. Now, something that has been going on at the Major League Baseball level for a number of years now, decades, I think all fans, whether they're the old guys that played, like me, or whether they're the new guys that just look at a computer screen, I think all would agree that this, that Major League Baseball has been doing for decades, is very good. In honor of Jackie, Major League Baseball is taking the unprecedented step of retiring his uniform number, number 42, in perpetuity. I want to give some appreciation to Jackie Robinson for paving the way for players like me to be able to play the game that I love every day. Like we're talking about someone who sacrificed a lot to create opportunities that you know he might not have even thought were possible back in his day. Number 42, from this day forward, will never again be issued by a major league club. So Saturday was April 15th, and therefore Jackie Robinson Day. That announcement you heard Bud Selig making took place in 1997. It was at that time that that number would no longer be issued. There were some players who had the number, I think most uh, well-known, Mariano Rivera, who continued to wear it, and then when they retired, it was retired. But it is I don't think there's another person wearing that number now, so that number is completely retired and has been since 1997. The day, Jackie Robinson Day, which is April 15th of each year, has been celebrated since 2004. I think everybody can agree these are good things. And one of the reasons why is because people understand what Jackie Robinson did was something he did not fundamentally for himself, but for others and for the game. And what he had to endure to accomplish these things for others and the game is something that I think all people respect and admire. And if they don't, they ought to. I would say all of the differences that exist between the quote-unquote old guys who play the game and the new guys who are really, really smart and look at computer screens, I think maybe the biggest one is this, that the old guys do not like the fact that so many players are fluent in three languages. And I'm not talking about English, Spanish, and Japanese. I'm talking about me, myself, and I. It appears that the vast majority of the older generation, and even guys who were more flamboyant, guys like a Ricky Henderson or a Barry Bonds, that that had a little bit more flair and a little bit more look at me back in the day, even those kind of guys are like, it's out of hand. Whereas the younger guys, and this would be not only those who are data and analytics guys, but guys on the field, They don't seem to be bothered by that. They don't seem to be bothered by this, look at me, how great am I? I'm the man, jump on my brand. That leads me to a tweet by somebody, to my knowledge, not associated with baseball at all that I read this past week. And when I read the tweet, you may not understand why I'm reading it in this episode or in any connection with baseball. Zachary Conover tweeted this, Pornography is destructive in all of its forms. It perverts a man's good, God-given sexual initiative into unproductive barrenness. 
it creates an entire society of self-serving, undisciplined boys that live for fleeting pleasure. It is soul poison corrupting masculine virtue. I responded to that tweet with these words. This is very true for all men and has direct application for much of what we see watching baseball. And in particular, my comment was based upon these words from Zachary Conover. It creates an entire society of self-serving, undisciplined boys that live for fleeting pleasure. There are plenty of things right and wrong about the state of our game in our day. And there are many reasons for that which is good, many reasons for those things that are bad. I believe, and a lot of the old guys believe, that one of the most significant reason, reasons why things are wrong can be traced back to a failure of the people in the game today to heed the advice of Robin Yount, who said, Don't ever think this game is about you. And maybe the biggest reason his words have been ignored is because the game has a society of many self-serving, undisciplined boys that live for fleeting pleasure. Maybe it's because many are being destroyed by porn. All of which brings us to this fundamental truth about life and about baseball. It's either Christ or chaos. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for listening.